Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome to Snake Oil Radio. I am your host, Jim Ventura. Uh, I am uh, hoping everyone is having a good morning. Uh, if you are listening to this live, uh, it's uh, getting nice here. I'm in Phoenix. And while it's still hitting 100 or so during the day, it's finally starting to cool down at night. So we're commencing into the fall, which is always appreciated once the uh, obsessive uh, heat begins to uh, uh, diminish. Uh, certainly makes it uh, really nice here. So anyway, uh, some some good things finally happen in here after a long, hot summer. Anyway, if you're uh, it's your first time tuning into uh, Snake Oil Radio, let me tell you a little bit about the show and me. Uh, I am, uh, again, host Jim Ventura. I am a professional oracle reader. Uh, in the old terminology, we would call that a soothsayer. Uh, my expertise is in uh, numerology, astrology, tarot, uh, rune stones, uh, animal cards, various uh, oracular devices. Uh, I have studied as well as a host of different philosophies and religions and perceptions about um, spirituality and metaphysics. So I've been uh, studying for a long time, and I do professional um, private sessions with clients to help kind of guide them and uh, help them with the uh, mapping that the uh, tools of astrology, numerology, tarot, runestones, all those things are able to do really effectively. Um, anyway, I, I kind of call it a heightened sense of uh, uh, a psychology session that at times 10 a lot of information to take in when you work with oracles and uh, often really surprisingly accurate uh, less about prediction even though that does come into play and more about kind of helping keep it balanced and harmonious about understanding who you are and what your choices are along the way so I've been doing that for quite some time I teach classes and I lecture and I'm also a writer who has published uh, one book called Dirty Little Secrets and is in the process of publishing a second book, appropriately titled uh, Snake Oil Volume 1, which is a collection of my uh, blog column that I've been doing for about four years now. I do do a monthly column called uh, Snake Oil, and it is available free on the Internet if you're interested in getting that. It comes out once a month. And Snake Oil Radio is an opportunity for me to expand on the uh, monthly column subject and uh, also to offer the uh, option if people are willing to call in and talk about the subject, uh, they may do so as well. I also have a chat room where you can ask questions that I can answer on air. I can't uh, write back to you in the chat room, though, of course, because um, I'm on air and it just takes too much time to type. But I'll give you that number as a call-in in a little while if anybody does want to call in and listen to this live. The show also is archived, so you may be catching it that way. And obviously you can't call in during like archive. It's already played, but you can certainly listen to the show. Anyway, the idea behind Snake Oil Radio is uh, rather than fighting against the uh, perception I would sometimes get from people about me being a snake oil salesman, uh, because they do not follow the uh, traditional religions or perceptions that a lot of people do, I decided to embrace that element and use it as a uh, opportunity to talk about uh, issues and, and subjects that uh, many people um, would find uh, interesting, to say the least. Occasionally, I, I do touch upon subjects that are, um, in some people's minds, a little controversial. I, uh, in my column and even in private practice, I'm willing to talk about sex relationships and, and even to some extent elements of society that we have been, you know, I don't want to say conned into believing 
that may not necessarily hold true in terms of uh, perception from metaphysical thought. So uh, that's really the uh, the idea behind snake oil, and I've got about um, 50 columns already, and that's continuing to grow, and my readership has uh, now uh, reached uh, a little over 600, and I'm sure that's going to continue to grow as uh, books get published. So anyway, let's uh, why don't we now get into uh, talking about today's, uh, well, we'll talk about this month's column which is called God Bless America. So this was uh, September 2008 snake oil column. I'm going to read that to you, and then when we finish, I'll give you the call-in number in a little bit as well if you do want to call in, and we'll talk a little bit about um, this topic and this subject. Snake oil, God Bless America. Every day at noon, the radio station that plays at the gym, I work out at, place a star-spangled banner. When this occurs, the staff stops what they're doing and faces a flag with their hands on their hearts. Sometimes, some of the men and women working out also stop and show equal respect by doing the very same thing. I think it's charming to see people who express patriotism in this way. On the more extreme end, I sometimes see people who have covered their cars with American flags along with support the troops' banners. Many of them still have Viva Bush bumper stickers. At the same time, I wonder if excessive pride in our country is fitting at this time in history. For the first time ever, we've probably reached a point where a good portion of the world isn't very fond of Americans. For example, last summer when my sister and her husband visited Germany, they found that it was safer to not advertise that they were Americans. I've heard a number of people tell me they encountered hostility in other countries because they were American tourists. It seems that we have fallen from grace in the eyes of a large portion of the world. To top things off, our economy is in a recession. The dollar is far from strong. The last seven years of government leadership have been far from brilliant. We are in tremendous financial debt to many other countries, and we use those loans to finance a war. I want us to wonder, is excessive pride helping or hindering us at this point? One of the most blatant things that has caused us to be seen as a villain by other countries has been the U.S.'s orchestration of the war with Iraq. I was only about six years old when the Viet- war in Vietnam War was coming to an end. I grew up in an era when the idea of war had finally reached a point where the majority of Americans were against it. Television shows like MASH, movies like Apocalypse Now and Born on the Fourth of July were reflections of shifting American viewpoints toward war. As Vietnam vets returned, it was sad to see how they were treated. The radical left used terms like baby killers as part of the onslaught of names hurled at the men who served in that war. Most of the soldiers were never compensated for their sacrifice. Men who fought bravely and had their lives physically, emotionally, and spiritually torn apart returned to a world that had no place for them. While the war itself and the treatment of the Vietnam vets was deplorable, something positive seemed to emerge in spite of this. We seemed to have lost our mass belief that war was something of value. Optimistically, I believe we would never be foolish enough to get involved in a major war again. I was wrong. 
After the devastation of 9-11, it was understandable that many people were bitter over what had happened. The loss of the lives of so many innocent men and women was easily the worst tragedy of this decade. Still, a year and a half later, when the President and, his con and the Congress decided to go to war with Iraq, I was shocked. It was not only clear to me that there would be all kinds of parallels to what had occurred in the Vietnam situation, but collectively as a people, I thought we'd become smarter and wiser. We added a campaign to help the Middle East by giving them democracy. The attempt to act as a police and force another country to accept democracy was idealistic and delusional. It simply didn't work. Slogans like, they hate us for our freedom, clearly illustrate this type of delusion. Attention to occupy a country for their own good is no less an, of an atrocity than any of the other countless times in history where one group of people coerced any other group of people to their will. Trying to motivate people with a gun in their face to the right religion, the right form of government, or God's will, are all blatant attempts to force change. While there is no question that Iraq's treatment of women and a long list of other things they believe in and do is quite negative, and even at times atrocious, our attempts to coerce them to the right way was likely to produce was not likely to produce any valuable resolution. In fact, it has cost us a large fortune in debt and contributed to the difficult economy we now find ourselves in. A large number of lives have been lost in the process. If we look at war from an ethical perspective, or a metaphysical one, the killing of other people in war itself can never be justified. From a metaphysical perspective, karmic laws will operate whether we believe they will or not. Killing for any reason creates a karmic ribbon or a debt that will require burning. This will either be resolved by either experiencing a similar crime done to an individual who killed another, or the karma will be balanced by the murderer choosing to find a way to give life to someone who's likely to lose theirs. Even if the reason for murder is justified by human minds in our laws, the karmic debt will still exist. Needless to say, being killed is generally not an enjoyable experience. On the other hand, the experience of killing another human being for whatever reason is intense and often damaging internally for the perpetrator. This always sets up an imbalance that will need to be resolved. We send young men and women into battle and ask them to do this job for us. We create negative karma for ourselves as well as the soldiers we ask to take on these tasks. I have debated my perspective on war and killing with a number of people and often find that I hear the same arguments for war. Usually statements like, what are you saying, Jim, that all wars are wrong? What about the Nazis? Should we have let them continue to do what they were doing? Are you saying all war is bad and killing is never justified? What if someone attacks us? Should we just allow them to destroy us? What about the American Revolution that freed us from England's tyranny? Sometimes lives need to be lost for a good cause. Well, comparing Iraq to Germany, Nazi Germany is ludicrous to begin with. I'm a realist, and I recognize that wars have occurred and will continue to occur. There have even been times when good changes in the world came about from the results of war. Still, in almost all, every case, including our present situation, there are always hundreds of alternative ways to deal with aggression and cruelty that did not involve sending our soldiers into battle. When offered, 
diplomatic solutions are often less interesting and usually aren't taken very seriously. More importantly, I'm against war for entirely different reasons than most hardcore conservatives would understand. I'm against it because killing, no matter how we may try to justify it, is still wrong. What I find most fascinating is that many of the people who are pro-war often claim to be Christians. It's odd to me that a number of Christians who say they follow a religion based on the teachings of a man who was all about peace would be so comfortable with war. They often further malign Christian philosophies by claiming we have a right to kill if necessary because we are carrying out God's will. Listen, patriotism can be a, and pride can be a positive thing. To be proud of this amazing country we live in is understandable. America definitely has many things to be proud of. But when I see huge American flags hanging out of car windows or the endless stream of support the troops' bumper stickers, I wonder if this pride has turned to arrogance. Do these people really believe that if they keep repeatedly shouting, we are great, the rest of the world will believe it? While the intentions of the patriotic flag waivers are undoubtedly good, often their reasons for doing so are myopic. Blind patriotism can be dangerous. What these people forget is that the men and women serving in any war are not just good soldiers fighting for a worthy cause. They are real flesh and blood. They are your children and your neighbor's children. They are mothers and fathers missing the experience of watching their own children grow up. They are young people thrown into horrific conditions that will often physically, emotionally, and spiritually damage them forever. They're often asked to do things that no 20-year-old should have to do. They're all missing important developmental experiences we have in our early 20s, all because they're serving their country. Oh, but day will come during my lifetime. Well, patriotism and support to troops means something completely different. In the future, maybe we'll stop sending brave soldiers and children into war unless it is an absolute last resort. Better yet, I'd like to see us bring our soldiers home now, even if it means admitting the wrongness of having gone to war in the first place. Let our soldiers come home and live normal lives. Patriotism and pride can only be effective when combined in a healthy way with compassion and kindness. There are hundreds of alternative ways to make changes in hostile situations that do not involve a war. When will we start considering these ideas seriously? It's time to use our brilliant strategic skills of our hard-working military warriors more humanely and productively. If we saw our military in the same light as we see our policemen and firefighters, we would be more likely to value them and think more wisely by putting them in harm's way. We will stop pretending that there are pawns in a chess game and see them as members of our American family that are not expendable commodities. We will embrace the idea of God bless America and say those words with real meaning. We will value life and see that even one lost American life is already too many. Okay, so that was uh, my column. And uh, I have to admit, I, you know, I, of course I enjoyed writing it and bringing up this subject. I think it, it is something I have wanted to, to talk about for a very, very long time. Uh, but by the same token, uh, I really think I needed some time to get comfortable um, with my uh, other elements of my uh, column. 
and uh, and even this radio show before I would really broach this subject because I know this is one of these types of things that can really, really get people a little bit up in arms in that sense um, uh, about war. You know, the funny thing is, um, is I, you know, sometimes I think when, when people read or talk to me, they think that I'm like sort of a far left liberal, which is really, really funny because I'm actually not. I would, if I would mention what I, I, I feel about politics in that sense, I'm often more of a moderate um, more of a middle of the road in that sense, and uh, there have been times when I've seen that the best candidate has been Democratic. Sometimes I see him as a Republican. It depends on who I think is the smartest, most intelligent person for the job in, in these contexts, as well as in Senate and, and congressional issues. Um, honestly, I, I probably lean a little bit more to the left, of course, but um, really, I don't to say minimally so, because I am quite... Uh, conservative about certain areas and elements and, and perceptions of things. And again, I think that sometimes surprises people. Um, anyway, so this said, uh, really my, my discussion about this topic, again, was really more focused on talking about this from an ethical slash metaphysical perspective, which is, I think, often something that is absolutely not talked about or even necessarily valued. Um, so I'm going to continue to talk about this in case anyone is listening live and they want to comment. Uh, feel free to call the guest call-in number, which is 646-200-3966. Um, if you're interested in calling and commenting or have an opinion, uh, feel free. Um, even if you disagree, that's not a problem. Uh, again, the guest call-in number is 646 200 3966. Anyway, so now uh, back to the uh, subject at hand. Um, yeah, you know, from what I have studied, and I, you know, I've really looked at a lot of different philosophies, uh, religious perspectives, uh, and metaphysical perspectives. I've really gathered a lot of input and data on the idea of war, killing, all of these things. So uh, I kind of want to talk a little bit about that and the idea behind what karma is in the first place. Because I think often people have a misperception of what karma is. Um, they may see it as something that's BS. They may see it as something that is involving quote-unquote punishment. Um, you know, uh, the idea of karma has been mentioned in, in a lot of different uh, philosophies and uh, perceptions, so it isn't a new thing to be bringing up the idea of karma. Um, I want to tell you, from what I've studied and what I've found karma to be, um, one, I have to tell people it does exist. And while I always remind everyone that your thoughts and your beliefs create your reality, we still do deal to some extent with karmic law because that is part of the dynamic that operates on the, in the, on the physical plane in that sense. In other words, it's a cause and effect issue. Each time you have a lifetime, you have experiences, and um, you we come back and return for new experiences, but also to balance unresolved experiences from previous lifetimes. So this is part of how karma works, and it isn't a positive or a negative as much as it's just a system that operates at a higher level so that we create balance. So for instance, if during a lifetime you kill another human being, um, 
then you will come back and you will experience either having that person kill you to balance the karma, or uh, maybe in this case you would come back and become a doctor or a healer in some respects and give them an opportunity to uh, live where they may not have in that sense. So the karma isn't always necessarily uh, resolved by a black and white resolution. Our higher self is more creative when it comes to uh, resolving karma, so it can go in either direction. And from a developmental stage, during our early, what we would call, infant soul lifetimes, in that sense, um, and that terminology doesn't have to do with being a child, it has more to do with the development of the soul, it, it makes sense that we will have more experiences during our infant baby soul lifetimes involving things on the extreme ends like killing. Um, that's part of the dynamic of immersing yourself into the physical plane and the experiences here. Now, as the soul progresses and evolves, and we become a, a, a young soul, a mature soul, an older soul, we're less likely to have those more extreme karmic experiences. We will have had them already, had to, quote-unquote, burn the ribbon or resolve the karma and recognize at a deeper level why we would not do something like that again. So, um, you know, we're, we're using killing here as an example of karma, but be aware that there are so many different elements of how karma operates. If you abandon another human being, um, you will be abandoned or rescue that person in another lifetime. Um, you know, there, there are so many different angles to what karma is about. But for purpose of this discussion, we're talking about war and killing and these dynamics. So... Um, the bottom line is, you will not escape the law of karma whether you try to or not. And well, again, belief isn't doesn't is not really really a part of this element of structure because this is something that's largely orchestrated from the higher self. And again, it's not necessarily a punishment. If you think about this, um, when you kill another human being, even if it's justified, in that sense, that is a very very intense experience. Um, you will often feel anguish. I mean, maybe later on you kill a human being and then you meet their mother or you find out that they had children. Or you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot more of a complication to this than people would necessarily anticipate. And we're not even talking about necessarily ending up in jail over it. We're talking about something within the soul, within the, within the psyche itself that begins to wonder why... Um, you did this and what the repercussions are for it emotionally and psychologically. Then by the more obvious example, when you are killed in that sense, we have to look at what brought us into that place. Uh, obviously, we would be looking at this uh, <laughs> between lifetimes or after we physically leave the body. But, um, but when you're killed, you're looking at what level of victimization brought to you to that place in the first place. Um, why you had that experience. It could either be anguish toward the person who killed you, or even in some cases it might even be appreciation if at some deeper level you really, really wanted to go in that sense. So we have these two different, different elements that operate. And what karma is about is creating a balance, seeing things from dual sides so that the soul and the, and the self can eventually release the whole idea of the issue in the first place. For instance, I've often mentioned to people that are really strong activists for animal rights, which I am as well, uh, that often they were abusers of animals in past lifetimes, and now they're often activists for helping, healing, and protecting animals. 
Now, often when I mention that to someone, it makes them uncomfortable at first until they mull on it for a little while and they realize that, yes, that does make some element of sense um, because that's why they have such a strong conviction about not participating that way in the first place. Um, although, depending on the animal circumstance and situations, karma may or may not result. Again, that depends on a number of factors um, that apply. So, Karma is a, a kind of a universal law that operates. It's done as a way of allowing us to have this uh, balance. Um, I think every Libra understands this element really, really well, every person who's born Libra, uh, but understands this idea that balance is required for growth in that sense. So getting back to the subject at hand, when you are put in a circumstance or situation when you're in war, and you have to kill, even if it's rationalized or justified in that sense, you still create a karmic ribbon. And the way a karmic ribbon is created is when you take a choice away from another human being. So if you kill another person, in essence, you're removing their choice to have experiences in the future because you're taking them out of the physical body. So that, again, does eliminate choice, and that's how karma is created when uh, choice is eliminated in that sense. So uh, I know that, uh, you know, I had a couple of people who, I mean, a lot of pats on the back from this column. Of course, I got a couple of people that were like, remove me, oh my God, you know, blah, 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 get lost. You know what I mean? Just the silliness that I run across with people who uh, uh, disagree, who have loved me for years, but that suddenly disagree, that run screaming in the night. I mean, I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by this. Um, uh, 40-year-olds act like they're 10 years old. Even some of my favorite um, uh, political people, including Bill Maher and various other people that I think are brilliant, sometimes I don't agree with, but I don't shut them down because I occasionally run across something that I don't understand or agree with. Fascinating to me <laughs> that people are this way. It's such a silly response. But... Um, the bottom line is, no matter how we rationalize it or, or, or say, well, this is something that um, we have to do in that sense, we are actually making decisions, in this case, for the soldiers because we're putting them into those circumstances, and then they're kind of carrying out the karma for us and killing. Now, I am not you know, unrealistic about the fact that a war and these experiences exist, and we're in, well may continue for quite some time. But eventually, as the planet progresses and we become more mature, older-souled in the general populace, uh, we will see a decrease in this type of activity in war. Uh, for uh, example, the older souls, mature and older souls, generally are not likely to be as active with the idea of killing in general. It becomes often an unappealing element or attribute to participate in in the first place. But the thing that bothers me most about war is really that, in actuality, the soldiers are being used like chess pieces in a game. And this is where, even if you don't agree with me about uh, some of these ideas, where I really am trying to get people to, to understand that when we do this, uh, we're taking away their choice and rights, in that sense, to experience the things that are normally part of development, like you know, if someone, if a soldier is married and he goes off to uh, fight in a war in that sense and he's killed in that war, there are repercussions that affect his children possibly, his wife, his family uh, in a very, very painful kind of a way. And even by the same token, when we're taking the life of someone else, even if they are quote-unquote the bad guy, 
we're causing the very same ripple effect to occur. And this is not good. I mean, I cannot really, really stress this enough, that this is not a positive situation in the long run because it does create havoc at so many, so many levels. Even, you know, I've often told people this too. This is a little bit of a different kind of a side note or a subject about the idea of suicide. From, often from a religious perspective, like I was raised Catholic, and we were taught that um, uh, suicide is a sin, a mortal sin in that sense to take your own life. And while I, I obviously don't follow Catholicism anymore, uh, I do see, you know, the, uh, like there are, are some wise elements in all religions and philosophies as that wasn't in Catholicism. Really what they were getting at when they said it was a, a mortal sin in that respect is, when you take your life, you may feel like it's your life to take. And while that's true, it's to some level. The repercussion effect is such that, imagine the effects on your family or friends that go through the feeling of, oh my God, I didn't see this coming, I should have done more. We cause a repercussion. A lot of people, when we have these experiences, we don't live in an isolated world. So when we do do something like this, we are creating karma in that respect that has to be resolved. We may have to come back in a lifetime and have a child of ours uh, or a friend of ours commit suicide and experience what it feels like to be on the other side of this in that respect. Um, and this sounds like a harsh system, but it isn't a harsh system. Again, from a higher self level, we have a series of multiple lifetimes where we grow, we learn, and we evolve. So we will have experiences that are positive and we will have negative ones. You know, I just remind people, too, that there's also good karma. There's philopanther karma. During a lifetime, you decide to pave the way for someone to go to school or give people opportunities they wouldn't have normally had. We often create a positive ribbon, a ribbon that is repaid at a later time that is a beneficial ribbon in that sense because we did something and gave people extra choices that helped in their evolution or in their growth. So I do really strongly uh, want to uh, mention that karma in and of itself is not a negative or a bad thing. It's experiences that have to be looked at and analyzed by the soul and by us as individuals that have to bring us into a higher level of awareness about um, our perceptions of, of these things. For instance, America is still somewhat of a very, very warlike country. Um, we have a cockiness about us. Um, and we have had a number of different uh, minor excursions to major ones over the last 30 or 40 years. So it's certainly part of our history and still part of, obviously, part of our present. But, you know, I really, I, I, grew up in the, I grew up in the early, I was a little kid in the early 70s. I grew up in the 70s and into the early 80s um, as a teenager. And, um, you know, it's interesting to me because even as a child, I remember the repercussions of the Vietnam War. And really, to me, it was this uh, thing where people lost their lives. We rationalized that we had to stop the spread of communism at all costs, yet it didn't work in the first place, as is the situation now, by the way. It's not really working. We're spending, you know, a fortune. And to me, you know, when we do these type of things, collectively, as a higher collective consciousness, we also will give ourselves valuable lessons along the way. So, for instance, even in our present situation, when Katrina happened and there was such a devastation uh, by our own people in our own country, there wasn't really enough money or aid that went out initially to these people 
Um, and that, to me, was a wake-up lesson in that sense, that we were putting all this money into, quote-unquote, saving uh, Iraq in that sense, yet we weren't even taking care of our own people at home. Now, I know that sounds like, oh, my God, far left liberal thought, but I really, you know, I really would hope that my listeners would get away from these idiotic ideas of labeling these perceptions because, this way because it isn't about it being far left liberal thought. It's about being humanitarian people and prioritizing the idea that human life is a value no matter what, and we need to do our best to help each other, assist each other in a positive way, as opposed to focusing so much on the idea of where war is concerned about destroying an enemy. You know, it's funny because if you study, um, there's a, a philosophy and a system that I, I, I studied back in the 80s that I still use and, and even teach classes on now called the Michael uh, system, which is uh, was a channeled a set uh, channeled material that came uh, from an, originally from an author named Chelsea Quinn Yarbrough. Um, the first book in the series was called Messages from Michael. I really recommend this, by the way. It's really fascinating material to read, and they are still available. Um, and it's funny because it's channel material, which I know sometimes people go, oh, my God, that's goofy. But if you read the material itself, it's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, they talk about soul ages and soul development from infant soul to old soul. We go through a series of lifetimes, and then we eventually cycle off, quote-unquote, join the rest of our entity or larger group, and move up to more evolved lessons on the higher planes as we work our way back to the Tao or God. And I really uh, understandably embrace that idea. And for me as an older soul, I guess I always have some, at some deeper level, even as a child, I understood these concepts that, that killing again in of itself is more of a, a young soul, baby soul, infant soul activity and tends to really decrease as we become more of a mature older soul. And even into many, for many young souls, we'll, we'll avoid this element because we will have, again, repercussions of karma from these elements, no matter whether we uh, believe that we will or not. So, you know, one of the things that you can look at, and the Michael system had brought this up, is that if you look at different areas of America, you can often see where there are older souls, uh, younger souls, pockets of, of uh, mature souls. Needless to say, often the shorelines, uh, San Francisco, Florida, various other people seem to draw the Northeast seem to draw more of a mature older soul vibe to it, whereas middle of America often is a baby or young soul vibe to it. Um, so it becomes sort of the battle against, this is where this battle against the liberals and the conservatives idea came from. But often um, younger souls, and especially with baby souls who are valuing structure at all cost, they're often, they follow what they're taught to the letter of the law. So um, they follow the Bible literally. They follow what their parents were told. If they were told they're Democratic or they were told they're Republican, they never really, really question that. They stick to it no matter what. So it's understandable that they will have some of these rigid beliefs and often are um, you know, uh, pro-war in the first place because things become very black and white as opposed to what happens during the mature older soul developmental stage where things become more shades of gray. Um, so the, the bottom line is... Um, these perceptions of, of different people really dictate the way that they think and they operate. But what I find really, really fascinating, and I had mentioned this in my piece, was that people who are often really, really hardcore conservative Christian are often some of the most pro-war people I've ever run across. And, you know, to me, if you go back to the basics of something like the, even the, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill is pretty cut and dry. 
it isn't thou shalt not kill unless your priest has told you you're allowed to or God says it's okay. It's pretty much thou shalt not kill. So this is always what fascinated me. Even early on when I was raised with traditional um, Christian teachings in the form of Catholicism, I was early on questioning some of these ideas in that sense because they didn't make sense to me to be told this, but then that was contradictory to what the people believed or actually did. So again, to me, that, that's a pretty plain cut and dry statement that is often being ignored. One of the reasons why, while well, I see the teachings of Christianity, some of it is quite beautiful and brilliant. Um, I just I want nothing to do with it in, in, in the sense of forming an organized structure because of the rigidity of the way people follow these beliefs. But what I find that is that that's what happens with the way people perceive war in the very same capacity. It's according to the beliefs that they formed about what's quote-unquote right and wrong. And again, we often see this more stronger element within middle America of this kind of pro-war disposition. And that's even what we see with this election now. It's like a battle between the middle of America versus the quote-unquote liberals. Uh, God, you know, it just fascinates me that we are not getting beyond these simplistic concepts in the first place. Um, so this said, um, if you look at other cultures and countries as well, too, you know, if you go to places like Sweden and the Netherlands and uh, places like Iceland, and, and um, you often find a different kind of vibe there because it's more of a collection of mature and older souls. And what's funny is older soul countries, you know, no, soul, no country is ever going to be all old souls. It'll always be a mixture of different soul ages as well, just as America is. But you'll find areas that are predominantly mature, older souls are often pacifists when it comes to war. They're not aggressive. But what's really funny, if you go to a place like Amsterdam, when you look at their, their, uh, their uh, uh, philosophy and politics, well, we may not agree with some of it. Um, they really live pretty harmoniously, very, very low crime rates. Um, and we often see them, you know, from America, we see that as a weakness that they're not aggressive, which I always find really, really amusing because if you think about this, they are happier people, they don't have issues, I mean, drugs are legal, prostitution is legal, things that might upset people, but the truth of it is, again, you have very low crime rates, you have generally a happy populace in that sense. And what mature and older soul cultures generally do, as opposed to fighting directly, is they often, even if they're taken over by another group, they actually end up converting them <laughs> to their perceptions along the way in that respect. So that it's kind of a passive way of, of transforming. One of the things that I, I kind of pointed out in the piece also is really the reality is even when, when the Iraq war started, there were, there were options and alternatives that could have occurred. It isn't that there isn't some value in finding Osama bin Laden and, and stopping terrorism. Of course we need to do that in that sense. But we could develop more defensive postures as opposed to an aggressive one, which really obviously had more themes to it than necessarily just, you know, uh, stopping terrorism. Obviously, there was oil issues and various other factors along the way. So, again, we have gotten lost along the way, to me, with all of this. And it, it kind of surprises me, I guess, because I would like to think of the general populace as more intelligent, but unfortunately, I'm often let down by some of the things that I, um, that I see along the way here um, that are still occurring. This kind of, again, myopic vision about how things have to be and this kind of pride in the whole idea of war in the first place. I mean, I am completely against the idea in that sense. And I will stick to my guns on that because I often even remind people that 
if you're victimized, some part of you is, it's not like we get up in the morning and say, oh, I want someone to attack me. But if you're victimized, there's some part of us that, that has brought that to us for learning or for growth, or because we're fearful to begin with and we're taught that life is dangerous and we need to be afraid. So to me, if we develop a more assertive, confident, stronger posture as a human being, um, we're less likely to bring any type of attack to us personally or even at a larger level as a country. So there are ways around the problems that we have encountered, but again, they're not taken seriously. I mean, I, I can imagine that really any uh, far right-wing conservative that was listening to me right now would say, oh, my God, this guy's completely full of crap. He's obviously a snake oil salesman. Oh, there's my little thing in there about why I called myself that in the first place. But karma is karma. So you can stamp your feet up and down. You could re pretend that it doesn't exist, but at a higher self level, it simply does because that is one of the dynamics of the physical plane. And when we finish up our lifetimes, when we've had enough here, we've balanced our karma, we will cycle off. We will go on to the next experience, but it will be because we are... Um, we have finished our karmic lessons and, and also are happy and ready to kind of go on to the next thing. And I think that one of the, the signals that I often explain to people about being an older soul, even a mature soul to some extent, is the more you have reached a level of understanding, awareness, or even neutrality, is often more of a signal that the soul is evolving in that respect as well. Because you've gone through those experiences, you've already grown through them, and you don't necessarily need them anymore. And again, that's the way that I feel about killing. It's really an experience I'm long since passed through multiple, many lifetimes ago. And I don't say it to pat myself on the back. It's just a reality in that sense that it doesn't really factor into the experiences that I have. But I do understand that for younger and baby souls, there is that need for those experiences. But hopefully as the planet evolves and the soul ages overall begin to grow, we can maybe let go of this idea once and for all. You know, I don't realistically think I'm going to see this completely in my lifetime, sadly. But um, I'm still a Sagittarius, and I'm optimistic that we eventually will um, grow up, so to speak, and come to a more harmonious place about this whole subject and this whole issue. So that said, that is my perception uh, about um, war and killing. And uh, I know, um, uh, I'm sure a lot of my listeners as well as my readers are going to jump up and down because they're in complete agreement with me here, and then some of you are going to be, oh, my God, I'm not sure if I completely agree, and then some of you will hate me, <laughs> which is okay because I've, I've kind of gotten okay with that. Uh, you know, I, I really I prefer I get a reaction, period, even if it's a negative one, because at least I'm kind of causing people to think. So that will conclude um, today's uh, uh, radio show. Um, I will be adding a feature um, at the end of this month, actually. I'm going to be doing one more extra show. I'm going to be interviewing a, uh, believe it or not, a tea leaf reader. Um, this will be my first interview show, and I'm going to add in an every other show interview feature, which is kind of exciting. So um, I hope uh, that's, I think, on the 29th, I believe. It's the end of September on a Monday, uh, same time, 11 o'clock in Arizona time. So if you want to call in and catch that, please feel free. Um, I'm sure it's going to be an interesting topic of conversation. Uh, if you want some more information about me, um, my book, uh, again, if you want some more information about me or my books or even having a, a private session with me, you can reach me 
Um, you can check out my website, which is web.mac.com slash VenturaWords, uh, web.mac.com slash VenturaWords, or you can email me at uh, VenturaSAG at yahoo.com and uh, email me to set up some type of uh, session. Um, I can give you some information about that. Uh, Private sessions are really awesome. Um, really, if you uh, have or have never had a card reading done or an astrological astrological chart or numerology profile done, uh, you know I really have to tell you it's awesome. It's really, really insightful and valuable, and um, really a lot of food for thought. You know, the more we know of who we are as a person, the more we're likely to make wiser decisions. And oracles are just an excellent tool to use because they always seem to get right into the heart of the matter of what's going on. And uh, they don't tell us exactly how it's going to go as much as they direct us in the likely probability of how things are going to go, which is cool because once you know that, you can either accept it or you can um, even sometimes shift or change it because now you have an awareness. So again, always appreciated uh, that you're tuning in. Um, and if you want to get added, uh, email me and I'll put you on the list. Uh, have a great day. And cheers, Jim Ventura signing out. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.